0: Well, grab your Bibles and turn to Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs 8. Uh, we began uh, two weeks ago our study of, of Proverbs 8. The, the goal was uh, looking at the, uh, Solomon receiving the gift of divine wisdom. We could look at lady wisdom, right? It's a, it's a bizarre passage in Proverbs. A lot of people don't know what to do with it. And uh, I think sometimes we, we do too much with it. Um, but as I myself was looking into it, you, you realize just what a rich passage this is. I have no real grand plan, I hope to, that we can get, uh, get through the whole, whole chapter um, in a few weeks. But uh, we want to look at verses 4 to 11. We looked at verses 1 3 last time. We want to pick up where we left us. So if you will, stay with me out of reverence for, uh, in God's Word. Proverbs 8, starting verse 4. To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands, and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with ours. Go to the Lord and pray. Father, we always ask for the same thing. Your word is open. Would you open our entire being that we would receive your word, believe in it to be true, and apply it to our lives. And may I decrease so you can increase. In the name of your son we pray. Amen. Um, I know this isn't news to any of us, but when it comes to assessing the value of something, the general rule is less is more. That is to say that the less of something that you have um, antiques or whatever it might be, the more valuable you will find because the more rare something is it will will cause it to go up in value. Let let me give you just just a few examples of this. You may remember the late 80s, early 90s when I was a little kid, um, there was a crazy comic book uh, uh, buying spree. There was a comic book store here in Frankfurt and uh, I can still take you where that comic book store was. And every time we were in Frankfurt, uh, my brother and I would just beg mom and dad to take us over there because we were convinced we are going to buy a bunch of comic books and then when we were 40, uh, we could sell those and we could pay for our uh, children's uh, college, uh, right? Well, I have a bunch of comic books in a house. Uh, my brother has a lot of those old ones we bought then and they are worthless. And the reason they are worthless is because To meet the demand of comic books in the late 80s, early 90s, they had to print them in abundance. And when you print a bunch of something, there's there's a lot still in circulation. Um, My son has a lot of old comic books that we have found at yard sales and whatnot, and occasionally we'll get those out, old Flash and Spider-Man and stuff, and we'll try to see, is this comic book worth anything? And if it's worth more than $5, uh, we've struck it rich, right? Um, Because there isn't really a whole lot of value. However, if you can find a comic book that is rare, it's amazing what those things can cost. For example, uh, the most valuable comic book you can find, especially if it's in mint condition, of course, is this one right here. This is issue one of Superman. And uh, it sold a few years ago. um, It sold... um, um, oh, I didn't put it, put it in my notes, side I added this later. Uh, it's sold, I think, for a couple million dollars. A single issue of Superman. Now, you can, you can buy this comic book, a, a reprint of it, for two bucks, three bucks, something like that. Or you, you can buy uh, other, uh, other books that will have this story in it, and it's worthless. But if you find the original... Part of the reason they are so rare is, for one, no one thought Superman would, would become the iconic figure that he is today. But, but also because uh, comic books were made out of paper that would be sent overseas to, to, to uh, soldiers in World War II. And they, it was cheap enough paper that they could just throw them, throw them away. Right, They had a brief moment of, of entertainment between fights, and they can just throw them away. And so there's not a whole lot of them left, maybe a handful or a thing, certainly no more than a dozen. And, and because it's Superman, it's so rare, it's worth a lot. Or how about this, ladies? A blue diamond, a blue diamond. This is a specific blue diamond ring thingamajig. I don't nothing about diamonds. I took uh, a friend of mine to to help me pick out my wife's engagement ring because I knew no idea whatever it is I was looking at. I eventually discovered what I wanted was the one of the cheaper options. Anyways, um, uh, this is a rare blue diamond, two thousand fifteen. This diamond is 14.62 carat vivid blue diamond. I don't know what any that means. It's been named the Oppenheimer diamond, not because of the bomb guy who's now in, in, in the theaters, but because it was named after the, the owner that, that sewed it up on auction. It sold for $57.5 million. If you break it down by carat, that means one carat of this rare blue diamond is almost $4 million. It's crazy, isn't it? And the reason these things are so valuable is because what is rare increases in value. If I'm reading this text right, Solomon is saying that the same principle applies to wisdom. What makes wisdom so valuable isn't just that it is good and practical, but because, frankly, it is rare. You may recall what, what it is we saw in verses 1 through 3 two weeks ago, and that was the call of wisdom. You remember that wisdom is calling in a various places. She, she calls from the heights, right, the, the, the high places so that more people can hear her. She calls from the crossroads. Where that's even where the harlots can be found, uh, Lady Folly. And yet, she's calling to anyone who would come and, and hear her. She even calls at the gate, which is where a lot of the political economic uh, decisions are made for the city and, and, and the rural community. She's just everywhere. And therefore, she is universal. Therefore, she is good and practical. She is calling. But what we see here, verses 4 through, through 11, is the conclusion of this, what scholars would call a forward to this chapter. And that is the character of wisdom. Who is she calling to? And what is her her, her message in general, right? In fact, what we see in verses 4 through 11 is the who, the what, and the why. Um, so, you so, what we see then is verse, the first 11 verses of Proverbs 8 is like an introduction uh, forward, if you will. And so it isn't until verse 12 that we really get into the autobiography of Lady Wisdom. Uh, she introduces, if I wisdom dwell with prudence, right? He or she is speaking directly, but but... Before that, we're, we're just getting a taste of what is to come, right? I made the mistake years ago. This is years ago. I think we were married. Actually, I can tell you for sure we were married because I was reading the book on our honeymoon. Don't judge me. And um, um, I just read 10 books on vacation this week. Some of it audio because we had a long drive and the kids were asleep. And some of it, uh, I, just, I got a new uh, Kindle. And man, I just devoured that thing. Anyways, um, but this book, I, it was a biography of Luther. And I, I got all the way through it. And then it was a good book, right? But he got to the end. He says, well, there's only about a 10-year period that's interesting for Luther. So I skipped the first part of his life, skipped the end of his life, and just talked about these 10 years. And he gets to the conclusion, and he says, it would have been better had Luther not lived. Right? This book's like 400 pages long, and I just devoured it. And you get to the end, he's like, hey, it's probably not, not good that he lived. And then I, I thought, well, that just sort of ruined the book. And so I went and read the introduction because I had skipped it. And in the introduction, it said, by the way, I don't think Luther was a good person. He should have never lived. Had I paused and just read the first two pages, I could have saved my, I still have the book. It's, it's back in my office. It was an excellent. Uh, the, his, his treatment of Luther was quite good, except for the his conclusion, I thought, was just quite awful. Um, the same thing here is, is we, we get a taste of what it is that we are going to see with, with wisdom. So let's start here with the who, verses 4 to 5. Who is it that, that Lady Wisdom is speaking to? To you, O men, I call. My cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sins. Notice there are two categories here that she is speaking directly to. The first one is specifically to men. In fact, it, it says men there, and then the parallel, the last part in the second part of verse 4, the children of men. And, and, and so it's clear that this isn't just uh, males in mind. However, if we read Proverbs, the whole book, and I think we should read Lady Wisdom in light of the whole book of Proverbs. If you read the whole book of Proverbs, the primary audience is men. And it isn't because women can't understand wisdom. In fact, notice here that wisdom is personified in the feminine. Lady wisdom, not senor wisdom lady wisdom. However, again, if you read Proverbs, the, the attention is primarily from a father to his son. Let me give you a few examples of this, uh, I, I cut several of these out, just the opening chapters, right, are almost exclusively from a father to his son. Uh, Proverbs one eight: hear my son your father's instruction, and don't forsake your mother's uh, teaching Proverbs three one I skip chapter two I can give you another example my son do not forget my teaching Proverbs four ten hear my son and accept my words that the years of your life may be many uh, chapter five my son be attentive to my wisdom incline your ear to my understanding chapter seven my son keep my words and treasure up your commandments with you so so it opens up with a series of proverbs right usually when we think of Proverbs, we think of pithy little sayings right and that's good and that starts really in chapter ten. But the first nine chapters are, are this sort of stuff. It's specific wisdom on specific topics from a father to his son. Proverbs ends with the uh, virtuous woman, right? Proverbs 31. Ladies, don't you want to be a Proverbs 31 woman? Read it again. It's words from a father identified as King Lemuel, probably Solomon, to his son on what the virtuous woman looks like. Isn't interesting? We take it as a chapter that's only towards women. The main target audience is men. Because we were warned in, I think it's chapter 7, about the seductress. Avoid her. In chapter 31, he says, but pursue her. She is worth far more than jewels. So so I do think it's worth mentioning that, that the target audience is primarily men. And these opening chapters address issues like leadership, marriage, faithfulness, family, worship. And again, it concludes with what a godly woman looks like. And so Proverbs is primarily written to, and Lady Wisdom is primarily speaking to, young, impressionable men. Let me tell you, men need this. So, yeah, I was expecting a mom to say that. Um, but uh, but uh, 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 sociologists have discovered this. Every culture, women are going to turn out the same doesn't matter what the culture, a matriarchal culture, a patriarchal culture, women are going to turn out the same. What is that? They're going to be maternal. They're going to be driven towards children and the home and everything else, right? There's, there's, it doesn't matter what the culture is. They're going to look for the same type of man. You're going to know what you're going to get with women. It does not matter the context by which they are raised. Men, on the other hand, it's very different. In fact, a society would do well if they prioritized what sort of men they were raising. Remember that when you turn on the telly and you're being told that every man you meet is wicked, evil, and toxic. What sort of men are we raising? Studies show that 80, 80, I think it's like 85, 86% of, of young women want men to take the first step in a romantic relationship. A similar percentage of men says that they will not take the first step of initiating a romantic relationship because they're afraid of being called out as toxic and abusive or creep. What sort of men are we raising? It's almost like God knows exactly what he's talking about when he targets specifically men when it comes to wisdom. A culture made up of wise men is a good culture for women. Well, that's a free rant. But notice that there, there's, there's, there's a second target audience here. It's not just men, it's simpletons. Maybe that's the same uh, audience. I'll let you decide. The word here means simple or naive or the open-minded. Now, when I say open-minded, I don't mean tolerant. I mean someone whose mind is so open that their brains have fallen out, right? This is someone who is foolish, right? And, and so they, they are indecisive, ignorant, easily duped. In a word, they are a fool, Simpletons know no gender. They could be male or female. Lady wisdom implores simpletons to learn prudence. Now, prudence is a good biblical word we don't use anymore because that's probably going to offend someone. Prudence carries the idea of discernment and caution, it is someone who is not easily deceived or seduced. It's interesting that the Bible portrays men as being easily uh, seduced and women as being easily deceived. What do both need? Prudence. Interesting on top of that is the Bible often pits wisdom and prudence together. Much like you get wisdom and knowledge together, you get wisdom and prudence. Because prudence without wisdom is caution with no action. That's why we're raising men now. Wisdom without prudence is knowledge with no caution. So let me give you an example. Proverbs 14, 15. The woman, um, uh, the simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. Yeah, if if it's on the internet, it's got to be true, right? Um, uh, Thanks, Mark. You were going to distract me. You're not getting out in time now. So um, before broadband was everywhere and Wi-Fi was not in our our vocabulary, I had a sophomore uh, history teacher who I loved. Um, but the big assignment of the year was the JFK assassination. The guy was all about the conspiracy stuff. So, I mean, we spent like two months on this, okay? Which is a lot of time uh, in, in a high school history class you take for a semester. And so we just devoured this issue. We, he, he would, he, uh, we, we had the uh, uh, lab for a whole month, right? He reserved all of his classes. I mean, I, I ate it up, right? As you can imagine. I still have my papers, 31 pages long, called Bullet the Blue Sky, YouTube song. Anyways, and... I had a friend of mine, like mine got put on the wall of fame, right? Because he really liked my paper. Um, so not to brag. And, and uh, a friend of mine, he turned in a real paper, but for, for you know, kicks and giggles, he wrote like a one paragraph paper, papers, half a page. And, it's, and it was basically, uh, JFK was shot by Ralph Nader and Elvis Presley. right? And he just made up garbage, right? I always think of that when I think about people who see things on the Internet and believe it. Because that's basically what my friend did before anyone was doing that, right? I don't know how many people who believe things because either the Babylon Bee published it or because they saw it in a meme, right? That is someone who lacks both prudence and wisdom, and they are your neighbors, and you invite them to Thanksgiving dinner, and they are free to talk, right? They are all over the place. They may even vote in our business meetings. That is the who, right? You get men and you get the simpleton. Secondly, the what. This is verses 6, six to 9. This, this I find interesting. Notice the language that we get here. What is uh, Lady Wisdom? What is her message? The First of all, notice she says that her wisdom is royal, verse 6. Here, for I will speak of noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. That word noble is interesting. It carries the idea of honor, yes, but the word means royal. It could be translated prince or captain or leader. It describes a king. Let me prove it to you. First Samuel 9.16. This is the first time this word is used in the Bible. It says, tomorrow about this time, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Right? This is Samuel and everything. You shall anoint him to be prince, king. It's the same word used Lady Wisdom uses to describe wisdom. What kind of wisdom does she bring? She brings the wisdom of kings, a royal, honorable wisdom. To Samuel 5, David's about to become king of united Israel, right? He's already a king in Hebrew, now he's going to uh, be, be over all of Israel. The Lord said to David, you shall be shepherd of my people Israel. You shall be, there's that word again, prince, ruler. Um, And there are other examples I could give you, but this, this this is the idea. The idea is that wisdom carries with it nobility and honor. Wisdom is associated with such honor. I don't know if you've noticed this, but throughout history, even now, when you think of kings and political leaders, there's a certain dignity that they're expected to bring to them, right? One of the debates I've seen, a friendly debate I've, I've seen among legislators is, should, uh, for, for male legislators, is should you wear a vest, right? Should it be a three-piece suit you wear in, in the office each day, right? It's a fun little debate they have. Some are very high maintenance in that regard. Others, less so, right? And, and it's, it's almost, well, I won't go there. But, but anyways, what, why is that a fun little debate? It's because we understand that positions of honor require a dress of honor. Right. If, if you saw the president speaking from the White House in a Hawaiian shirt and flip-flops, that would be a discussion of significance. We expect the suit. Wow, because we understand those positions bring with it a, a certain amount of honor. And that's, that's, I think that's what we are to, to, to associate here with wisdom. It is dignified. It's free of scandal. And it, and it elevates us at the same time. Not only is wisdom royal, but wisdom is reliable. That is, that it is embedded in truth. There in verse 7. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. And you'll, you'll notice in Proverbs that it plays with parallelism. And it plays with contrast. Parallelism is when you have two lines that say essentially the same thing in two different ways. And other times you have contrast. Here's a good example of contrast. Lady Wisdom, we discover, loves truth. Her wisdom is rooted in truth. In contrast, Lady Folly pursues wickedness, abominations, or, in a word, lies. All of this is to say that if we seek wisdom, we will find truth. If we seek the truth we will find wisdom. Although the two are not the same, they are inseparable. Like husband and wife, brother and sister. Historians agree that we could, though it's an oversimplification, you could divide the history of humanity basically in three categories. Pre-modern, modern, modern, post-modern. The pre-modern era is, 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 you can imagine, let's say pre-enlightenment just just to use a, a hard, 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 uh, term there That is uh, sort of a, a pre-rise of science and whatnot, right? When the world sort of got smaller, the cosmos got smaller. The modern age was the belief that mankind can discover all knowledge and truth, and through that type of scientism, we can bring peace and tranquility to all, the whole world. There's a problem with 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 modernism is it didn't work out. Two major events in the 20th century ruined modernism: the sinking of the Titanic and World War II what we discovered in of the Titanic is we can't defeat nature. What we discovered in World War II is that mankind, at his current rate of development, will, will destroy itself. I mean, we got a movie in theaters right now. It's all about that. I mean, it's what Oppenheimer discovered when the bomb went off, right? That led to postmodern age. This is the age of where, well, if truth uh, will ruin us, then the rejection of truth will save us. Many of us remember the age of tolerance and open-mindedness. Let's all get together, light a candle, sing the Coca-Cola theme song, and watch Oprah together. Let's just all get along. How has that turned out? We're too afraid to say what a male is, what a female is. When does life begin? Like, we are forsaking not just truth, but reality itself. And as a result, we are walking around as fools, where logic is a dirty word. Feelings trump facts. And, and, and so here comes Lady Wisdom. It says that if, if, you will, if you will hear my call, I am rooted in truth. Wickedness is rooted in lies. If you believe a lie, you will be deceived. You will be seduced into wickedness. Well, do a little bit of skipping. There's a lot more to say. That I think it's worth exploring the transcendentals. Maybe we'll spend a whole week on that. I don't know. Wisdom is righteous. Verse 8. All the words of my mouth are righteous, there is nothing twisted or crooked in them. I want I want to notice this uh, uh, about wisdom. You see this in verse 7 and you see in verse 8. Verse 7 mentions my mouth utters truth, verse 8, the words of my mouth are righteous. Notice an emphasis on the tongue. This is this is common in Proverbs. Let me give you a few examples uh, of this. I didn't put them up there. Um but uh, Proverbs ten nineteen, when words are many, transgressions are not lacking. Whoever restrains his lips is prudent. There's that word again. Proverbs twelve thirteen, an evil man is ensnared by the transgression of his lips. Proverbs twelve nineteen, truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Proverbs thirteen three, whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. It. Now, we understand this, right? What's the number one rule if you're going to run a campaign? <laughs> right? You're going to run for office. Talk less, right? Right? I mean, isn't that the rule? Don't answer the question you're asked. Answer the question you wish you were asked. But we understand this. When politicians get wordy, let's say on Twitter, it just causes all kinds of headaches. And that's true, not just for politicians. It's true for all of us. When we get wordy, when we talk before we think, we get in trouble. Well, So in Proverbs, the the words are, are, as Jesus would say, it's out of the abundance of the mouth, the heart speaks. So the words reflect the heart. And here comes Lady Wisdom, says my words are righteous. Why? Because I am righteous. If you're looking for truth, you'll find it with Lady Wisdom. If you're looking for righteousness, you'll find it with Lady Wisdom. She will never lead you down the path of wickedness. Finally, wisdom is right. You see it there in verse 9. They are straight uh, to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. So we see, we see this in this chapter elsewhere that throughout Scripture, life's journey is portrayed as a road. The way of righteousness is straight and narrow. The way of wickedness is crooked and dangerous. A good example of this is Pilgrim's Progress, where a Christian, so long as he stays on the right path, is safe. It doesn't mean he's not tempted or seduced, but it means he is safe. When he wanders off the path for whatever reason, he finds himself in, um, in, in danger. Um, Giant Despair's prison, for example. Vanity Fair would be another example from the book. Proverbs fourteen twelve. I didn't put it up there, forgive me. Or I forgot to hit the save button. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. So we have seen the who, we have seen the what. Let's conclude with the why, verses 10 through 11. The why of wisdom is blessing. In fact, Solomon suggests that wisdom is more valuable than wealth and riches. We saw that this morning, didn't we? That when we saw the wisdom of Solomon in his governments, we saw the blessing of the people in abundance. The people were blessed through his leadership, and as a result, uh, he, he, he could feed thousands of people each and every day. Notice the language there, um, verse 10 take my instruction set of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold. The language is not unique in this verse. Solomon frequently returns to the notion that wisdom is of greater value than gold and silver. Let me give you a few examples. Proverbs 3.14, For the gain from her, Lady Wisdom, is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. By the way, that sounds like the virtuous woman in chapter 31, doesn't it? You understand why the the Proverbs describes a good, virtuous wife as a crown upon a head. She is the embodiment of wisdom and beauty. You cannot separate wisdom from beauty. Another reason why wisdom is feminine. Because men aren't that attractive, let's be honest. She is a crown as a good wife and mother is. Crown upon the head. Go down to chapter 8, verse 19. We see the same language. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. Proverbs 16, 16. How much better to get wisdom than gold? To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. His, I think his point is obvious. A man can possess riches galore and still be a foolish man suffering from his foolishness. On your own time, do a study of what happens to the average lottery winner. We often think that what people need is more resources. What people need is more wisdom. There are many people, you can give them a billion dollars right now, they'll be dead broke in a week, a month, 10 years, whatever it is. Money is no replacement for wisdom. Marriage is no replacement for wisdom. Family is no replacement for wisdom. Uh, and it is more valuable than anything you can find. Well, I came across a story the other day. And you, you know, how I've, I've shared these sort of stories before. There, 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 there's tons of them. A, a man was in Maine at a yard sale. You know where this is going, right? He's rummaging through just the junk pile. He finds what he thinks is an old photo. He didn't know anyone on it. But he he just had a sense there's, there's something of value here. I'm just not seeing it. He paid $100 for that little photo. Only to discover it was worth far more. Come to find out, it was an old baseball card. Not just any old baseball card. As far as we know, it is the first baseball card we have in circulation. There's only one that exists. He later sold it at auction. It sold for ninety-one thousand dollars. For those who are counting at home, that is a ninety-one. it was like a ninety, ninety-one thousand or nine thousand percent increase? Whatever you, you do, the math right. It's a crazy, crazy increase, right? Um, well, its value is because it's rare and because it is special any old photo that wouldn't work but because it is rare and early and unique and good it is valuable therefore its pursuit may the man wealthy so too the pursuit of wisdom the lady who calls to all who hear her most might ignore her voice but to those who find in her her character. You will find riches beyond anything a bank can hold. Well, let us pray and we'll be dismissed. You'll get out early.